Go for the pulls and the pools. Go for the oohs and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Philly Sports Power Hour with your man, Bill Calarulo. It is so good to be back. It felt like an eternity taking this damn vacation when I did. I missed two Phillies games we need to talk about. The worst Eagles game of the season that we need to talk about. And I just, I've said to you guys last week, never again vacations during Eagle season and Red October. This was booked before we signed on to do the Philly Sports Power Hour. But I am here, and we have a lot to get into. Make sure, as always, guys, you're engaging in that chat. Love to see you all here. Let's get a little roll call, see who's in the chat today. What is up, Kawan? Julio Jones season. We're going to talk about Julio Jones. Posted a video on my Instagram page this morning, legal hands to the face, about Julio. I think people may be getting a little bit too excited about that signing, but we'll talk about it. But as always, guys, smash that like button, smash that share button. What's up, Eagles fan? Everything is good. I shouldn't say everything is good. It is great to be back. It is great to be talking to you guys. But I obviously was not happy with that Philadelphia Eagles performance against the New York Jets. And if you tuned in to my Legal Hands to the Face show last night, I was all worked up again. And we're going to talk about it in the next segment. Just a bad offensive game plan, bad play calling, bad execution, but we will talk about it. What's up, BSing Sports? Good to see you, brother. Peter Doty, Bill, you're not allowed to go on vacation on Berg's game day anymore. You are not kidding, Peter. I was pissed off, man. Pissed off. Almost ruined my vacation with the kids, watching that game on the boat. And there were a lot of Jets fans on that boat, man. A lot of Jets fans on that boat, all fired up. And before we get into the Phillies, the Jets freaking suck, okay? I said it last night on my show. We said it last week. They are still not a good football team. I don't care what happened on Sunday. Their offense stinks. And the Philadelphia Eagles offense lost this game for the Philadelphia Eagles. The defense played well. Stephen Patton, good morning to you as well. But guys, we will talk about the Philadelphia Eagles in the next segment because I have to get off my chest what I saw against the New York Jets. But in the first segment today, we're going to keep it positive because we're going to talk about a team that is playing some great baseball right now. Maybe the best baseball we've ever seen from the Philadelphia Phillies. An absolute dominant performance of the Arizona Diamondbacks last night at Citizens Bank Park. 10-0. to 10 to 0. The Phillies almost had more runs than the Philadelphia Eagles running backs had in the game against the Jets. You believe that crap? DeAndre Swift, 10 carries. Philadelphia Phillies, 10 runs. Unacceptable. But we'll talk about the Eagles in the next segment. 
but just an absolute dominant performance. And these Phillies, they're dominating this entire postseason. BSing sports, super impressed with Nola's performance. Hell yeah, and we're going to talk about that. Chuck Hutton, hey, y'all, great to have you back, Bill. Good to be back, Chuck. Good to see you. Stephen Patton, Phillies fans take over Chase Field tomorrow night and Friday. We will see. We will see. But let's talk about home field advantage for a second. And we say it every week on this show, there's nothing like Citizens Bank Park. Absolutely nothing like Citizens Bank Park. Kelly, I don't know when these opposing pitchers and opposing players are going to learn. Stop talking about Citizens Bank Park and how it's not loud. Because all you're doing is motivating this crowd to be even louder. It's like when people do stuff to the Rocky statue. Why? Why? Why are you asking for crap? Why? So Kelly makes a comment about how I don't think it'll be as loud as it was in Miami for that Venezuela World Baseball Classic game. Well, the fans were freaking loud, man. And we know that this Citizens Bank Park is a special place. And it's not only what it does to the opposing team. It's what it does to this Phillies team. You heard Schwarber say after the game, it's like you're at an Eagles game with how loud it is and how pumped up you get. And clearly, this team is delivering with these home runs. And I want to talk about some of the records these guys are setting with these home runs. But before we do, let's talk about that home field advantage. So the Phillies are 6-0 and at home this postseason, 28-11 and since 2004 at the bank. That gives them a winning percentage of 718, which is by far the best in Major League Baseball when you have a minimum of 20 games. The closest team to them in postseason was the New York Mets at Shea Stadium with a 667 winning percentage. They were 26 and 13 at Shea Stadium. Just incredible stuff that's going on down at Citizens Bank Park. But Stephen Patton asks about, is there going to be a Phillies takeover, Phillies fans takeover at Chase Field? The interesting thing is that the Diamondbacks actually have a really good record in the postseason at Chase Field. They're 14-8 and eight at Chase Field with a winning percentage of 636. That puts them at number four all time in Major League Baseball. It's not going to be Citizens Bank Park. But they do have a good home field advantage. And I don't like the way Major League Baseball has the seven-game series set up where you go 2-3-2. Two, two. I like the traditional 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. That's how I like it, the way the NHL does it. And I see Kawan, how about Carter Hart with 25 saves? Flyers, man, 2-1. Carter Hart pitching a shutout. Phillies pitching a shutout. His team looks good. But the Phillies are just dominating, man. And let's hope they can continue it in Arizona. And as good as the Diamondbacks have been in their history at Chase Field, like we were just talking about, this team just isn't ready. And I was talking to my producer, Xander, before coming on the air. We were both saying the same thing. Diamondbacks team isn't a bad team. They're just not ready. And you saw it last night. Stupid mistakes. Infield pop-up, not knowing who to who's going to catch it, it drops. They just look completely overwhelmed in this game last night. 
and you just look at this Philadelphia Phillies team, they're doing it to everybody. It's not just the Diamondbacks. Look what they did in the wild card. They outscored the opponent 11-2 to in the division series. Outscored the Braves 20-8 to so far in the National League Championship Series. They're outscoring the Diamondbacks 15-3. to They are dominating everyone. This lineup is so scary. It's so deep. In the division series, Schwarber wasn't hitting. It didn't matter. Because Bryce Harper was on fire. Castellanos was on fire. Trey Turner was on fire. Well, now you have Schwarber. Home runs in back-to-back games. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. I don't know how you can stop this Philadelphia Phillies lineup. Up and down the lineup. If one guy's not hitting well, it doesn't matter because the next guy's going to pick him up. And we talked about it last week. You have Castellanos as your seventh hole hitter. It's incredible. He's probably hitting cleanup on any other team. He's hitting seventh in this lineup. And let's just look at some of the records that these guys are set. With another three home runs last night, Philadelphia Phillies have 15 home runs in the, four, in the last four games. That is the most in Major League Baseball history. And these records that these guys are setting are the most in Major League Baseball history. You're talking over 100 years of history, what these guys are doing. It's incredible. As good as the 08 Phillies were and the 09 Phillies were, what this 23 Phillies team is doing, no one's ever done in Major League Baseball history. 15 home runs in four games. They're the second team in Major League Baseball history with three-plus home runs in four straight games. It's incredible. And we talked about it already, what Castellanos did, first player ever in Major League Baseball history with back-to-back multi-home run games. They already set the record against Atlanta for the most home runs in a postseason game with six. The Phillies' home run differential so far this season is plus 15. That is insane what these guys are doing. And then you look at Schwarber. He ties Reggie Jackson for the most postseason home runs by a left-handed hitter. Reggie Jackson, the guy who's nicknamed Mr. October, Kyle Schwarber's tied him. And Reggie Jackson hit all those home runs in 77 games. Schwarber's done it in 59. So Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, move over because Kyle Schwarber is the new Mr. October, Mr. Red October, Kyle Schwarber. And you saw the stats from the division series. Bryce Harper, most home runs ever in a National League division series throughout his career. And then you look at Philly's postseason history. Harper is number two in Philly's postseason history with 10 home runs. He's only one behind Jason Wirth. And Jason Wirth, it took him 40 games to get 11 home runs. Harper's done it in 25. And Schwarber's number four on the list with nine. He's also done it in 25 games. These guys are doing things that has never been seen in Major League Baseball. And you hope that they can just continue this, but if they can, and they are showing no signs of stopping, 
Phillies are winning the damn World Series, man. Knock on wood. We're going to have a parade on Broad Street, and it's going to be a party like we've never seen because this Phillies team knows how to party. We're going to be hearing Dancing on My Own. Never get sick of that song. It's funny, though, because the song's a little bit annoying, but not when the Phillies are winning. Not when the Phillies are winning. It is a fun song to scream and sing. Let's check in on these comments. So we got Chuck Hutton. Diamondbacks resemble the 08 Tampa Bay Rays. Evan Longoria must really despise Citizens Bank Park. Couldn't blame him. Yeah, you're not kidding. Did you see that stat that Longoria, it's the longest span between championship series appearances in anyone's career? I think he was going back, what was it, 15, 16 years or something like that? Pretty crazy because he was a rookie on that Tampa Bay team back in 08. So 15 years. BSing sports. Historically, there are only two players in history with less than 50 postseason games and 14 or more home runs, and it's Babe Ruth and Bryce Harper. Incredible. I mean, you're hearing names like Babe Ruth, Reggie Jackson, being compared to guys on this Philadelphia Phillies team. Stephen Patton, Phillies dominated the bank. Love it. Keep it up. Kawan, yeah, but Reggie did it in the World Series. Okay. Give this team a chance, man. Give this team a chance. Because if Schwarber and Harper and Castellanos and Turner and even JT Romuto, Alec Bohm with a big hit last night, if these guys keep doing it, they're going to be doing it in the World Series. Texas boy, Dolphins over the Eagles. We'll talk about it in the next segment. Let me guess, Cowboys fan. That was an ugly win, man. I wouldn't be pounding my chest too hard. That was an ugly win against the Chargers. You guys still got a lot of problems. Let's shoot the shit. That song sucks, but it's good. (laughs) Yeah, that song sucks outside of when the Phillies win. And then it's the most exciting song. It's like, you ever been at a wedding? You're on the dance floor dancing. You find yourself singing songs that, like, otherwise you don't even like. But when you're dancing to them, you're singing. This is like that on steroids, man. When the Phillies win, I'm blasting that song. I'm screaming it. But if I'm in my car hearing that song, eh, doesn't hit the same. Peter Doty seems like Alex is getting out of his slump. Or Alec. Yeah, Alec Boom. I tweeted it out last night after that big play he made in the second. Let's talk about the game now. Let's jump into the game for a second. But we'll jump to the second inning. Alec Boom, what a play he made at third base in the second inning. The ball was basically behind him, throws it from his knees, and gets the out at first base. And then you saw he has that, and he has that really hard-hit ball that, if it's the summertime, may have even gone out of the yard. They talked about it last night. Gets caught in center field. You just knew, hey, that kind of play, and then hitting the ball hard, there was, it was a sign of things to come. And I tweeted it out early in the game saying, don't be surprised if Alec Bohm gets a big hit later in this game. That thing, that can turn you. That play in the field gets you fired up. And then he has that real big hit, two RBI double in the seventh that just blew everything open for this Phillies team. But let's take a look at this game. Aaron Nola, we're talking about the hitting. We're talking about the home runs. And we just can't ignore what Aaron Nola has done in three games. Yo, look at JM, man. What are you reading my mind? Says in the comments, 
we're all going to ignore Nola because of all the home runs. That's exactly where I'm going, man. Exactly where I'm going. And good to see you, JM. But you look at what Aaron Nola has done in three games. He's 3-0 and with a .96 ERA. He has 19 strikeouts and only two walks. There's only two pitchers in Major League Baseball history that have matched or exceeded those numbers. John Smoltz in 1991 and Cliff Lee when he was with the Rangers in 2010. That's it. What Aaron Nola has done the last three games, only two other pitchers in Major League Baseball history have ever done. And he's talked about it. You've heard on the broadcast them talking about it. He made some changes. He's a little bit more open in his positioning before pitching the ball. But whatever he's doing, man, every pitch is working. And he completely shut down the Diamondbacks last night. And if you have two pitchers like him and Zach Wheeler with this lineup, how do you beat this team? How do you beat this team? And JM's right. We're ignoring what the pitching has done because of how dominant they've been hitting the baseball, but they haven't even had a be. 11 to 2 in the wild card, 20 to 8 in the division series. So far, 15 to 3 in the championship series. These pitchers are not giving up a lot of runs, and that bullpen has been really good. And you look at Zach Wheeler in three games, he's 2 and 0 with a 2.37 ERA. And 26 strikeouts, only one walk. Wheeler and Nola are just trying to outduel each other. And it's, an, it's a beautiful thing to see. And if they're pitching this way, nobody's stopping this Phillies team. Nobody. And JM says all of these historic stats will be forgotten if we don't win the World Series. You're right. That's all that matters. But it is a good sign. It is a good sign with what this team is doing. A really good sign with what this team is doing. And not only are our two aces pitching really well, the guy who's going to be on the mound tomorrow night for these Philadelphia Phillies, Ranger Suarez, has just impressed me so much with just how calm he is and how he's delivered some really good starts for this Philadelphia Phillies team. In the division series, we've talked about it. He outpitched Spencer Strider. He outpitched Spencer Strider, and that's saying a lot. But you go up and down this lineup, man. Schwarber, he's now hitting 219. He struggled in that division series, but he's now hitting 219. Has another two RBIs last night. Trey Turner goes one for two last night. Two runs scored. Walks twice. He's batting 500 in the postseason. Just incredible. Bryce Harper, one for four last night with a walk. Alec Bohm, one for four last night with two RBIs. Bryson Stott, two for four last night, two runs scored. JT Ramuto, two for four with three RBIs. Just up and down this lineup, man. Castellanos goes 0 for two, but gets the RBI on that sack fly. Brandon Marsh, one for three with an RBI. Rojas, 0 for four but we've talked about it before. We don't need Rojas to do anything other than have that glove in center field. But it's just incredible what this team is doing. But you look at that game last night. 
Bright Trey Turner first inning had me nervous with that little bobble. Ball may have hit the mound, changed direction a little bit. But another error in the field. But then Aaron Nola said, don't worry, Trey, I got you. Goes two strikeouts in a row, then an easy pop-up. They go to the bottom of the first. Trey Turner makes up for that error with an absolute bomb on a solo shot to take a one nothing lead. And then we talked about it at the top of the second, the great play by Alec Bohm. Then we go into the third. Another great fielding play by Bryce Harper at first base. And as impressed as I've been with Bryce Harper at the plate, we got to talk about what this guy is doing at first base. It's incredible how quickly he's acclimated to the new position. It really is. You can't say enough. He's playing some really good baseball at third base for this Phillies team. And he's never played first base before in Major League Baseball. And he makes the transition and is really playing well. Which has real, it's really changed the whole lineup by being able to move Bryce Harper to first. It allows you to put Schwarber at the DH. You get Rojas in center. You can move Castellanos to right field and have Brandon Marsh in left field. It's just so good for this team that Bryce Harper has been able to acclimate to the first base position as well as he has. Let's shoot the shit, says so is Bryce at first permanently moving forward. I think he probably is. Especially, they're probably not bringing back Reese Hoskins. We've talked about that in the past. Is I think Bryce Harper's your new first baseman for the foreseeable future. Kenneth Gainwell checking in the chat. Thought you had practice today, man. But Kenneth Gainwell checking in the chat. How many more games does the series go? It'd be hard not to say to Philly sweep. I mean, really, at, at the way they've looked through two games, and I know things can change quickly in a postseason series. But the way they're playing right now, how could you think anything other than a sweep for this Phillies team? I don't know if it'll actually happen, but I am really, really going to be surprised if this game, if this series comes back to Citizens Bank Park. I think the Phillies at least win two in Arizona and take the series in five games. But we will see. We will see. If the Phillies win tomorrow night and go up 3-0, you may see the Diamondbacks just fold it up. But Kenny Gainwell thinks there's a sweep. Steven Patton talking about how Nolan needs to be resigned. If they finish this thing out and the Phillies go on to win this World Series, I don't see how you don't bring back Aaron Nola. But his price tag is just going up and up and up. But thankfully, we have an owner who likes to spend, man. Middleton likes to spend money. He has no problem. And I think if they go on to win this and Nola continues to pitch as lights out as he's pitched, how do you let the guy walk? Kawan, Turner still commits too many errors. Will end up costing us. He does on routine plays. Need to fix that. But Alec Bohm, man, what a glove he has at third base right now. But you continue to go through the game last night. With two outs in the third, Schwab, Schwarber crushes that ball. What Schwarber did last night on his two home runs, one of them, you heard it on the broadcast, basically with one freaking arm in the sixth inning. But he hits a home run in the third, goes up 2 nothing. And then this is where things got interesting. Sixth inning, 2 nothing. Schwarber hits his second home run. Turner walks. And then Kelly strikes out Harper. And I thought Kelly actually was pitching pretty well last night. 
we would be questioning this decision if this was our manager. Takes Kelly out to face Alec Bohm, gets him to pop up. Or was it after that? Now I'm trying to remember. Did he take him out before Bohm or after Bohm? I just remember Stott, he brings him in to face Stott. That's right. He, they bring in the pitching change to face Stott to go lefty on lefty. And they bring in Joe Maniply. Great single by Bryson Stott. Battles. And now you got the guy, because of the rule change, he's got to face three batters. Maniply needs to face JT Romuto. You got runners now on first and third, and Romuto comes up big with a two-RBI double. They then intentionally walk Castellanos, brings up Brandon Marsh. Marsh hits a double, and that's where things really blew open. They put up four runs in the sixth. They put up another four runs in the seventh, and now it's just a laugher. Ten-nothing. Hoffman pitches well out of the bullpen. Orion pitches well out of the bullpen. This team just looks unstoppable, man. But what do you guys think? I mean, you asked me, Kenneth Gainwell, how many how many more games does this series go? What do you guys think in the chat? Do the Phillies complete a sweep here? I know you want to take it one game at a time. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But it is hard to imagine this Arizona Diamondbacks team being able to compete with the Phillies the way they're swinging the bat and the way this pitching staff, both their starters and their bullpen, are pitching right now. Peter Doty weighing in. Sweet. Let's shoot the shit. I love watching what Turner's able to do once he's on base, run the bases so well. He really does run the bases so well. And how about our man Kyle Schwarber going first to third last night in the seventh inning? Hustling. That was fun to watch. Even so, I love that they show the, the Phillies dugout after these plays, and you could see them celebrate, and they were laughing about Schwarber going first to third. But just really aggressive base running. BSing sports, big guys can run too. Yeah, Schwarber turned it on last night to get to get to third. Unfortunately, Cave with a big hit coming in, tries to stretch it to third, gets thrown out. He almost face planted, man, stumbling. But good to see some of these young guys, or not really young guys, but guys who don't really play getting in there. And our our man, our backup catcher, Garrett Stubbs, biggest partier on the team getting some play time last night as well. JM, 4-2. So you think the series goes six. Kawan probably drop one in Zona just because. Chuck Hutton, those gap doubles are significant. Phil's in five. Let's shoot. However it ends, just hope the AL series goes the same. Do not want to sweep and then have to sit for multiple days. Can't let them cool off. Good point, shoot. But if I'm not mistaken... I think the schedule's already set. So either way, I think the Phillies would be sitting because I think the schedule for the postseason is already set. Or is it to be determined? No, it's already set. So the World Series, if the Phillies get there, World Series will start Friday, October 27th, regardless of how long that other series goes. So, if the Fightins are able to lock this up, the soonest they would be able to do that, if they win Thursday and Friday, 
is they would be off for a week if they do sweep this team. Could be an issue. Could be an issue sitting around that long. But it doesn't matter how long the other series goes. World Series will start Friday, October 27th. And I see DB talking now, asking about thoughts on Julio. When we come back from the break, I want to switch gears because I haven't had a chance to talk to you guys about that Eagles-Jets game, and I got a lot to say about it. And I'll start off the next segment talking about this Julio Jones signing as well. So stay tuned, guys. We're going to talk some Eagles in the next segment. Be right back. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Champions on three. One, two, three. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Staffing is not easy, but that's what we do every day, all day. The key to our success is storytelling, asking the right questions to find the right people. Hi, I'm Gary Kane, president of Kane Partners. We want to be your staffing partner. Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. Soganow helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student-athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you at Rafferty Subaru. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. What's up, guys? Welcome back in to the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. We just had a love fest on our Philadelphia Phillies, but unfortunately now we got to switch gears. It's not going to be as positive in this segment when we switch to the Philadelphia Eagles because I haven't had a chance to talk to you guys yet. And I had to watch that game on the boat. 
I was a little bit delayed, so I wasn't checking social media, wasn't checking the internet because I wanted to be able to watch it live. But I was a little bit delayed when watching the game on the boat. And I was throwing things at the damn TV in my room. Just a horrible offensive game plan, man. Just a horrible offensive game plan. And I want to get into it in a second. But before we do, the big news yesterday was that the Philadelphia Eagles bring in veteran Julio Jones. A lot of people get excited. They they see the name Julio Jones, and they remember how good he used to be in Atlanta. And everyone's all excited. Oh, Eagles bring in Julio Jones. They got the best wide receiver room in the NFL now. Well, I don't mind the move. I think it's a very low-risk move. You bring in a proven veteran like Julio. But we need to temper our expectations here. This is not the same guy. I see Kawan Bill, it's Wednesday, a.k.a. Jones Day. Chips and birds, still a good wide receiver three. But what we need to do, guys, is before we get into yeah, what his role may be on this team, you got to realize he is nowhere near the same guy he was when he was in Atlanta. He has not played more than 10 games in a season since 2019. So think about that. We're only in week seven. We're hoping to play a lot more than 10 more games. You got to go through the playoffs and hopefully a Super Bowl. So he hasn't played more than 10 games since 2019. But you look at his career numbers, one of the best to ever do it. 903 catches, 13,629 yards, 63 touchdowns, and an average yards per catch of 15.1. Impressive. Really impressive. But if you look at what he did last year, with the Tampa Bay Bucks, really didn't have that great of a season. Only played 10 games, 24 catches, 299 yards, two touchdowns. And it, throughout his career, average yards per catch of 15.1 drops to 12.5. Did have a good playoff game in that loss, but he's just not the same guy. And I see it in the chat, and I did a video about this on my Instagram this morning talking about how he's here for third down and red zone. Perfect for Jones. You would think so. You would think Julio Jones, with that big body and that ability to go up and catch the ball at the highest level, would make him a very good red zone target. And that's an area this Philadelphia Eagles team continues to struggle in, is the red zone. After that Jets game, even though they were a little bit better, they're still 23rd in the NFL in the red zone, scoring touchdowns only 45% of the time. But you look at his red zone numbers over the years, Julio hasn't really been that great in the red zone. He really hasn't been that great. He's only scored more than eight touchdowns one time in the prior 12 seasons of his career. You're talking about a guy who has over 900 career catches, he's only had more than eight touchdowns once in 12 years. And in eight of his 12 seasons prior to 2023, he's had six touchdowns or less in eight of his 12 seasons. If this was a guy who was great in the red zone, you'd see that touchdown number way higher. 900 catches, 13,600 yards. Only 63 touchdowns. 
And I know what the argument's going to be, and I see chipping seasoned birds saying he's never been on a team like this. But I really don't think that our wide receiver, three or four, was the issue on this team. It's just not. That's not what was holding this team back against the Jets. That's not what is holding this team back through the first six weeks of the season. It's been bad play calling, bad execution, and a bad pass defense. And we are banged up in the secondary. Justin Evans is on IR. Darius Slay missed that game with a knee injury. Sidney Browns missed the last couple of games with a hamstring. Reed Blankenship goes out with his ribs. Bradley Roby, the new addition, is out with a shoulder. Eli Ricks, the rookie, he's out with a knee. Eagles are forced to bring back Josiah Scott from the Pittsburgh Steelers practice squad. That's where this Philadelphia Eagles team needs help. So I don't mind the move bringing in Julio Jones. It's a low-risk move. He's not going to mess up the chemistry in that wide receiver room. In fact, him and A.J. Brown have played before. He's got the Alabama connection with Devontae Smith. He's a proven veteran. He's a team player. I'm sure he'll help out a little bit in blocking. He may have a couple catches here or there, but he's not going to move the needle for this offense, in my opinion. And I see JM saying Atlanta ran in the red zone. I mean, dude, you're talking about a 12-year look back, man. So if this guy was good in the red zone, I don't care if the Atlanta Falcons have run the ball recently in the red zone. You're talking about 12 seasons that we were able to see Julio Jones in the red zone. But I don't hate the move, so don't take me the wrong way here. I don't mind the move bringing in a guy like Julio on a team with Super Bowl aspirations. A guy like Julio is a great addition. He's going to help out that wide receiver room. He knows how to run routes. He can help Devontae Smith. He can help A.J. Brown, even just in the meeting rooms. But I just don't want people to expect the Julio Jones from the Atlanta Falcons being on this football team. And I'm not even sure if he immediately becomes your wide receiver three. I know Quez is on IR, and if you guys follow the show, you know I have my problems with Quez. But does he take a lot of reps from Alameda Zacchaeus and Quez Watkins when he's healthy? I still think you may see a rotation at that wide receiver three. But we will see. Just don't get too excited. Not a bad move. Not a bad move. But it's not as if this guy's coming in here and going to completely change this offense. But let's talk about this Jets game. Because what this Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff decided to do was absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You knew coming into this game that the Jets' defense was 29th in the NFL against the run. They were giving up over 4.5 yards per carry, which was 24th in the NFL. And then you have Lane Johnson, the best right tackle in the NFL, go out, and Jack Driscoll has to step in and is basically a turnstile on passing downs at that right tackle position. And you still, still refuse to run the football. Just an absolute zero balance. Okay, you want to try to throw the football. I get it. Sauce Gardner's out. DJ Reed's out. Kwan, I'm sorry, man. I know we've already digested the Jets game. I just have a couple things to say because I didn't get an opportunity to talk to you guys yesterday or Monday. But this Philadelphia Eagles team decides to throw the ball 45 damn times 
and they only give their running backs 14 carries. And four of those carries came on the second-to-last drive when the Philadelphia Eagles were trying to run out the clock. So you're talking about, for the majority of this football game, the Philadelphia Eagles only gave the running backs 10 carries. And if you follow me on Instagram, you saw a video I posted yesterday that has me even more upset. And everybody knows this. Everyone knows the Jets were good against the run. But listen to this stat and tell me this doesn't piss you off even more, Kawan, even though you've already digested it. Listen to this stat. Coming into this game, the New York Jets were 2-3. and three. In their three losses, the opposing offenses did the exact same thing. And in the two losses, excuse me, the two wins by the opposing team, the opposing offenses did the same thing. Just listen to this. In the Jets' three losses, New England runs the ball 40 times, giving their running backs 36 carries. The Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid, who we know loves to throw the ball, runs it 35 times, gives the running backs and wide receiver Sky Moore 28 carries. The Dallas Cowboys, see if Texas boy's still there, runs the ball 43 times, giving their running backs 37 carries. Jets lose all three of those games. So in all three Jets losses, the opposing offenses ran the ball 35 times or more and gave their running backs more than 28 carries. And in the Jets' two wins, the Denver Broncos run the ball only 22 times, giving their running backs 15 carries. Buffalo Bills run the ball only 22 times, giving their running backs 16 carries. So you look at that, and what did the Philadelphia Eagles decide to do? Say, hey, listen, we know the three teams that have beaten the Jets have run the ball over 35 times and gave a majority of those carries to their running backs. And the two teams that have lost to the New York Jets only ran it 22 times. Let's run the ball only 22 times, and let's only give our running backs 14 carries because that's a formula to win. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. You come out in that game, you throw the ball eight straight times. Clearly, this Philadelphia Eagles offense was not firing on all cylinders in the passing game. And I get it. Four turnovers makes it really difficult to win football games. But three of those turnovers happened when you're throwing the football. Two of them weren't Jalen Hurts' fault. Yeah, Dallas Goddard, that's on him. The other one, Hurts' arm gets tipped. The third one, completely unacceptable. The worst play I have seen Jalen Hurts make since his rookie season. The worst play I've seen him make since his rookie season. And what was most alarming about that to me is that Tony Adams, the cornerback who picked it off, they asked him after the game about the play, and he says the New York Jets coaching staff told them before the play, act like you're coming, then drop back in coverage, and Hurts will throw it right to you. And that's exactly what happened. That's alarming. That this Jets defensive staff knew if they showed a certain look that Jalen Hurts wasn't going to be able to read the right look, and he was going to make a mistake and throw it right to Adams, and that's exactly what he did. That's a problem. But this, this loss needs to be shared with Nick Sirianni, Brian Johnson, and the players. The players didn't execute. We know that. Four turnovers, unacceptable. Jake Elliott missing a field goal, 37 yards, out of character. But Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson's game plan, going up against a team who we knew sucked against the run, and deciding to only give their running backs 10 carries through the first four quarters of that game 
is unacceptable, man. Especially when the formula to win was right in front of you. We saw it. I just told you what these opposing offenses did in the three wins against the Jets and what the opposing offenses did in the two losses to the Jets. Why you ignore that information when you have one of the best rushing teams in the NFL. Eagles were number two in the NFL coming in with their rushing offense. But they decide to just keep dropping back. 45 damn passes in that game. I want to check the chat here, guys. See what you're saying. Steven Thomas, I'm liking the show more and more each day. Bill is rational without being pompous and rude. Keep up the stellar work, Bill. Steven, I appreciate that, man. Trying my best. Just trying to call it like I see it, brother. DB talking now. Knowing that the Jets made Allen and Mahomes look silly and almost beat the Jets. Chiefs, I'm a little less bitter about this loss, but there still seems to be chinks in the offense all season. But DB, that's what I'm talking about, man. You just hit the nail on the head. You said they made Allen and Mahomes look silly. So why the hell does Brian Johnson and Nick Sirianni come out with a game plan of throwing the ball 45 damn times? You saw why the Chiefs were able to win, even with Mahomes not playing great. Andy Reid. How many times were we frustrated with Andy Reid for not running the ball enough when he was in Philadelphia? He decides, hey, look, I know I have Patrick Mahomes, but the way to beat this Jets team, let's run the football. 35 damn runs. 28 carries by the running backs. Just frustrating. Frustrating. And look, I'm even willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Coaching staff said, hey, you know what? Sauce Gardner's out. DJ Reed's out. We may be able to really throw the ball against this team. And they come out with that game plan. But you could feel it. And as a play caller, Brian Johnson, there is a feel for the game. And once you realized that you're really not going to be able to throw the ball, why did you completely abandon the run? You have to be able to adjust in games to the feel of the game. And I understand if you look at DeAndre Swift's stats, he only was averaging 1.8 yards per carry. You didn't give him enough carries to even know whether or not he was able to get any traction. We've seen it. DeAndre Swift has the ability to hit a home run whenever he touches the football. You got to keep feeding him. Or at least give some carries to your other guys. Ten carries for DeAndre Swift. Two carries for Boston Scott. Two carries for Genny Gainwell. Come on. This isn't that difficult. You got a team who sucks against the run, and you throw the ball 45 times. Anyway, you're getting me all worked up again. I know I'm trying to let it go, guys. I really am. Eagles fan, coaches didn't tell him that shit. I don't know. If you watch the interview after the game, didn't look like he was making that up. Didn't look like he was making that up. Young player, they asked him about it. He could have taken credit for it. He said, this is what the coaches said to me. And I believed him. Go on. Push it through, Bill. I'm trying, man. Chuck Hutton, go back to the RPO. Eric Wisniewski, Eagles coaches need to realize their running back team just run it all three backs should get it. Canewell, Scott, and Swift. JM, I'm assuming this is still on Julio Jones. Percentage of red zone targets by year, at least 15 games. 23%, 18%, 29%, 17%, 24%. Stephen Thomas, Jalen for now reminds me of McNabb once he tried to be strictly a pocket passer, is it me? He did run the ball in this game. Jalen Hurts did run the ball in this football game. I just wish they would have given it to their damn running backs a little bit more. 
Eric Wisniewski, Eagles are not letting Jalen be Jalen. They're trying to make him a poor, pure pocket passer. He's not – his throwing is better when you keep him 25 to 30 passes and running it 25 times. Whatever it is, this Eagles team lost this game. And I did a video on my Instagram, Legal Hands of the Face, talking about how Eagles lost to a lowly Jets team. And a lot of Jets fans came after me. Lowly, we're 3-3. Three and three. The Jets stink. Okay, they are exactly who we thought they were to steal our the line from. Uh, I'm forgetting his name now, the Cardinals old coach. But their Jets team is exactly what they thought they were. Their offense absolutely stinks. That Philadelphia Eagles defense did their job. Listen to this coming in Jets offense, 27th in the NFL, only averaging 284 yards per game. Jets. De- Jets didn't do anything against this Eagles defense. They held them to 244 yards. They actually held them less than what they were averaging, and they were already 27th in the league. They were the worst passing offense in the league coming in, averaging 160 yards per game. Eagles defense held them to less, only 155 yards. And thank you, Chud Hutton. Dennis Green, Kwan. Dennis Green. They are who we thought they were. The one thing that this Jets offense could do well coming into this game was run the football. They were 10th in the league, averaging 123 yards per game. Actually, third in the league at 5.4 yards per carry. Eagles held them to 89 rushing yards. They held them to only 4.1 yards per play total on offense. Two of 11 on third down for 18%. And the Eagles have struggled on third down. They were 26 in the NFL on third down defense. They hold this team to 2 of 11. Eagles have also struggled in the red zone on defense. They held the Jets to 1 of 4. And I think that one touchdown, they let them score. Eagles had five sacks, and Hassan Reddick is back, man. Hassan Reddick is back. The one area that maybe, maybe this Eagles defense could have done better was for some turnovers. Jets were... 20th in the league coming in, committing eight turnovers. Eagles don't force any turnovers. But this Eagles defense still did enough to win this football game. The Jets' offense stinks, and they stunk on Sunday. The Philadelphia Eagles' offense lost this football game. And look, I'm not making excuses for this team, but there's a reason that teams don't go 17-0. You're going to have off weeks. So you've seen it year after year after year. Kawan, I can't move on, man. I can't move on. I haven't had a chance to talk yet. We'll move on tomorrow. I promise you. I promise you tomorrow, no more Jets talk. We'll focus on the Dolphins because I got a lot to talk about. But teams don't go 17-0 for a reason. You're going to have those games that you're not executing, that you're going to do uncharacteristic things. And this could have been that game. But what makes this so hard to swallow for me is because the Eagles could have left that game and stole a win. They could have stole a win. If Jalen Hurts doesn't throw that interception at the end of the game and they simply punt it, I don't think there's a chance in hell the Jets' offense gets into field goal range there. Not with Zach Wilson. Not with how well the Eagles' defense was playing. Not with how bad this Jets' offense is. That was a inexcusable mistake by Jalen Hurts there. And I'm a huge Jalen Hurts fan. You know that. You follow the show. Love Jalen Hurts. 
Still very confident in Jalen Hurts. But you got to criticize him when he doesn't play well. And that was an unacceptable mistake by an MVP caliber quarterback in Jalen Hurts. You can't make that mistake there. Even if he takes a sack, Eagles probably win this game. They could have walked out of there with a win. But to end on a positive, I guess, we're six weeks into the season. Eagles are 5-1. and one, And at the beginning of the year, if we would have looked at the first six weeks of the season and said that the Eagles would get out of there at 5-1, and one, we probably all would have signed up for it. And I did a video in the offseason. A lot of analysts look at the schedule. They go through wins, losses. It's all BS because nobody knows what teams are going to be like until the season starts. But I said in the offseason that I thought the Eagles' first loss, and a lot of people thought this as well, would be the New York Jets. But that's when we thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be on that team. But the reason I thought that there was a strong chance that the Eagles could have lost to the Jets in the offseason, thinking Aaron Rodgers was on the team, was because it was also a back-to-back road game. Philadelphia Eagles just went to the West Coast to play the Los Angeles Rams. They then have to fly back. And I know it's not a long road trip, but you're going on the road to MetLife Stadium. Back-to-back road games. I thought this was going to be the Eagles' first loss. I just didn't think it would be like this. Once Rodgers was out, once we saw how bad Zach Wilson was playing, I didn't expect this to be the loss. But in the offseason, I would have signed up for 5-1. and one. But There's a lot of question marks on this team right now. A lot of question marks. And I've defended Brian Johnson as a play caller. I thought this offense was really starting to click. I went through the numbers with you guys last week on the show, comparing the 23 offense to the 2022 offense and how they're actually putting up stats better than what we saw on that 2022 offense. But that game on Sunday really has me questioning Brian Johnson as a play caller. I'm not ready to say, and I've had people commenting on my Instagram, fire Brian Johnson. I think that's an overreaction. But I will say that my level of concern has raised significantly with that game plan and that play calling on Sunday afternoon against the New York Jets. But things don't get easy now. Things don't get easy now. We got the Miami Dolphins coming into town. And it's Kelly Green. I said it last night on my podcast, Legal Hands to the Face. Don't embarrass us, Philadelphia Eagles, in Kelly Green. We've been waiting for this for a long time. So you better be ready to play against this Miami greatest show on surf offense. And we're going to get more into the Miami Dolphins game. But just listen to some of this stuff, guys. Miami offense. Averaging 499 yards per game. That's number one in the NFL. Crazily, Philadelphia Eagles offense is number two at 395. The Miami Dolphins are averaging over 100 yards more than the number two team, the Philadelphia Eagles, on offense. They're averaging 37.2 points per game, number one in the NFL. 317 passing yards per game number one in the NFL, 182 rushing yards per game, number one in the NFL, eight yards per play, number one in the NFL, red zone offense, 81%, number one 
in the NFL. This, e- this Dolphins offense is absolutely stacked. Eagles catch a break. Speedster rookie running back Devin Ashane. We're not going to have to see him, but Raheem Mostert's running the ball really well right now also. But you just look up and down, and that's one, two, three, four, five, six categories Miami Dolphins are number one in. And the big issue here is I think for this Philadelphia Eagles team to have any chance of winning, they got to put pressure on Tua. And as good as the Eagles have been, and they're getting better, 20 sacks puts them in the top five in the NFL. Miami's only given up six sacks so far this season. Puts them at number two. I see Scott Shear saying Miami hasn't beaten anyone. They beat a 5-24 and 24 combined record. True. But look at what the Eagles did last year. I hated that argument. Everybody talking about how the Philadelphia Eagles didn't beat anybody. You play who's in front of you. And this Miami offense isn't just winning games, man. They're dominating games. So we will see what happens. But we'll talk more about this Miami Dolphins team. We'll preview that tomorrow and Friday. Guys, tomorrow at 10.20, we'll be joined, hopefully like we'll be joined every Thursday by my man, Mark Farzetta. We'll talk a little bit about the fight in Phils. We'll get into a little bit of the Eagles with Farzy. And then on Friday, we'll be joined by Eagles insider Dave Spadaro as well. So be sure, if you're not already subscribed to the Jacob Sports Network, hit that subscribe, hit that like, hit that share. I am back. No more vacations during Eagle season. No more vacations during Red October ever. Already told the family. This was booked a long time ago. But guys, like we end the show every single day, we take a look back at this day on sports. We're going way back. October 18th, 1889 was the first all-New York City World Championship Baseball Series. The New York Giants and the Brooklyn Bridegrooms. Giants win the series 6-3. Interesting. But Chuck Hutton, good to see you too, man. Everybody, let's shoot the shit. I appreciate that, that the Power Hour is great. Going to be coming to you guys every single day at 10 o'clock. So hopefully I will see you all again tomorrow at 10. And like I said, we'll be joined by my man, Mark Farzetta, in the 1020 segment tomorrow. So talk to you guys soon. Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the Oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.